in verse 16 of chapter 16. And as we read through this, I've read this obviously a ton of times. Um, I just want to tell you there are three words that emerge that I want you to note when they do. Uh, the first one is ask, the second one is joy, and the third one is father, all right? The Bible says, a little while and you will see me no longer, and again, a little while and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says, a little while and you will not see me, and again, a little while and you will see me, and because I'm going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. So they have this offline conversation because they had no clue what Jesus was talking about and they didn't want to look like idiots in front of him by acknowledging that they didn't understand. But he knew anyway. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, is this what you're asking yourselves, what I mean, what I, what I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me? And again, a little while, and you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she is sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Women say amen. Amen. So also, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one, no, no one will what? No one will take your joy from you, because it's rooted in the resurrection. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. So we're talking, Jesus is talking about crucifixion, resurrection, appearance, and presence with the disciples, and he says, in that day, you will ask nothing of me, and now he's talking about after that day, truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Someone should be excited in the house of God about that right now. Until now, you've asked for nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive. Why? That your joy may be full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. Okay, he does. He does intercede for us, but he's going to say something even deeper. For the Father himself loves you because you've loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, oh, now you're speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. <laughs> right? Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. I have a feeling they were saying this like to kind of coerce them to say, okay, you guys finally got it. I'll stick with you guys and not go to the Father. Jesus answered them, do you now believe, behold, the hour is coming, indeed, it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone, yet I'm not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, check it out now, with a, with a wink and a smile, 
but take heart, I have overcome the world. So good, isn't it? So good. Let's pray together. God, thank you, Father, thank you. We've, we've skimmed the surface, God. We've, we've barely plumbed the depths of the power of these verses. And God, shake your church. Shake our lives today. God, loose us from anything that's held us back, anything that's an impediment, God, to forward progress in our relationship with you. Father, we want to go deeper. God, we want to experience not just the, the fullness of answered prayer, but the the beauty and the power of your presence because, God, that really is what prayer is all about. And so, God, get a hold of Awaken Las Vegas in Jesus' name. Amen. And let's close in prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a seat. All right. All right. What does, okay, I'm asking a question. You can respond. Don't raise your hand. Just blurt it out. What does the resurrection mean to you? New life, victory, life, hope, eternity, joy, freedom. Yeah, purpose. All right, that's good. That's good. Um, listen, I love, I love these verses. There are, are some powerful verses in these verses. I love the way the whole conversation starts. To me, it's just fascinating, right? Because Jesus, he says this to his disciples. He says, a little while and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while and you will see me. Right? He intentionally confuses them to intrigue them. And I just have this feeling, you know, I think when we get to especially the upper room discourse, man, it is so somber. It's so, it's so challenging. And they could feel it. They could feel, the, they could feel the consternation and the agony within his own heart. And they began to bear that themselves, but, but the shift happens here, and I almost have this sense that he's got this little smirk on his face. Like, you know, he's thinking, I'm going to intentionally, like, turn you guys, just spin you around. I'm going to intentionally spin you around. Why? Because, because he wanted them to press in. He wanted to create questions within their hearts. And it's exactly what happened, right? He speaks in this enigma, in something they don't understand, and then they have this offline conversation because they don't want to look dumb in front of them. And they're like, dude, what? Why does he always do this to us? Like, what the heck is he talking about? We have no idea. And so they're having this conversation among themselves, and he knows, he knows what's going down, right? He knows what's going down. In an effort to understand, they started to wrestle, and he wanted them to wrestle. I just want to say to you today, wrestling with understanding God isn't a sign of weakness, it's a sign of interest, right? Wrestling to understand God because you know he's not always easy to understand. His ways don't always make sense to us, and wrestling isn't a sign of weakness, it's a sign of interest, I know that as a teacher, you know, like I'll be teaching you and there are times where I can see the wrestling in your eyes, the, the brows are furrowed, the, the questions are popping up like little bubbles above your head um, and I just want to say it's so better to have, it's so better for me for you to have that look on your face than the dazed, confused, disconnected, almost entering into REM sleep kind of look, like there's... There's nothing worse than that. 
Um, but to be in a place where we're wrestling to understand God is a, is a good thing. And I think sometimes we look at the disciples and think, man, what a bunch of bozos, man. I mean, could, he certainly did not pick the sharpest tacks in the box, right? I mean, those guys, those guys. But you and I, you and I have the whole picture. We read the gospel accounts. Like we're looking from the perspective of, of, of history that's, that's come to pass, and so we know, like we know what he's talking about. He's talking about crucifixion, resurrection, pain and suffering, joy and life. But they didn't see the whole picture. Certainly he had spoken to them and shared with them, given them glimpses, synthesizing right now the three times he spoke to them about his suffering and resurrection. He said, hey, listen, guys, I just want to prepare you. I'm going to suffer at the hands of the religious leaders. I'm going to be scourged. I'm going to be crucified. Um, but I'm going to rise again from the dead. They did not have the framework to understand that. That was not their expect, ex expectation of what Messiah would do. And so when he starts talking in these terms, they just don't understand. And I just, I would say to us today, let's have a little mercy on these fellas because the truth is we don't always understand either. Right? He says to them, hey, I want to prepare you. There's going to be a moment of sorrow and pain and suffering. It's not going to be easy. You're going to be bearing this adversity. And by the way, while you're bearing it, the world's going to be rejoicing. The world is collectively going to be sighing a breath of relief at the crucifixion of me. But that's not how the story ends. Like the crucifixion is not a period. It's a comma because there's something else that's coming afterwards, and it is my glorious, glorious, victorious, uh, otherworldly resurrection from the dead, right? And so, listen, knowing that they have a hard time understanding, he's like, let me give you guys a picture. Okay, hey, you know when a woman's giving birth, she's like, she's like not anticipating the time of labor with a lot of joy. She's like, this is not going to be easy, and there's sorrow. The hour of delivery has come, and she's going through all of this agony. Husbands, you know what I'm talking about, right? You're standing, you're, some of you women are like, what the heck are you talking about, dude? My husband doesn't know anything. My husband doesn't, I'm just saying like, man, you're next to your wife, and she's in labor, and you're like, okay, honey, listen, we, we did the whole breathing exercises. Here we go, one, two, three. She's like, I'm going to rip your head off. Like, get away from me, okay? Get away from me. But then all of that, all of that changes Right? All of that changes as she has that little baby, that little baby boy, that baby girl that she is holding in her arms, and that, that, that feeling of sorrow and suffering and adversity becomes a distant memory to the point where just a few weeks or so down the road, she's like, hey, babe, maybe we should have another one. Maybe we should have another one. And Jesus is saying, like, this is, this is a picture of what the crucifixion and the resurrection is going to be like. It's going to be suffering and sorrow and adversity, and you're not going to understand. And you're going to be in this place where, where, where you're going to feel like you've lost me forever, but the tomb is like a womb. The tomb is like a womb. It's not going to hold me in. I'm going to be born out of that into, into victorious life. And that sorrow and that adversity that you were feeling is going to be turned into joy inexpressible and full of glory. And that joy that's given to you can't be taken away because it's a permanent thing that's present in your heart because of my resurrection. Man, that's, 
That's good. Right? And so, listen, all of your answers were right. The resurrection ushers in a new order. It ushers in a new era. It is the beginning of the new creation. It has brought to us life and, and joy and hope and eternal life. But in these verses, what Jesus is going to point out is that it also has brought the, the answer, it's, it's brought answered prayer into our lives. Let me just say it like this. The resurrection has radically transformed our relationship with God so that we can call him our heavenly father. And because he is our heavenly father, he takes joy in answering our prayers. Man, that is good. That is good. The amazing and almighty creator of the universe who also happens to be your heavenly father answers your prayers. Do you believe? Do you believe that today? Pastor Jim was... Pastor Jim was standing here talking about, you know, the prayer experience and the prayer wall and, and hey, how many people have, have had answered prayer in their lives? You guys raised your hands. And I know a lot of you and have had the privilege of walking through some really difficult moments. And, and I look across the congregation today and I'm like, oh man, God did that and God did this and there's a, a reconciled marriage and there's a, a, a restoration of a, a kid who was wayward and um, there, there's the, the power of provision, and, and then I look across the room, and I see, man, that person's waiting. That person's waiting. I look across the room, and I, I see, you know, that person got an answer that they weren't expecting, that they weren't expecting. I am so thankful that he has made it. I'm not saying that there aren't complexities to the issue of prayer. We're going to deal with one specifically today, but I am so thankful that he has made it as simple as he possibly could. I mean, the word here, the, the, the simple word is this. It is ask. I mean, it is a small but powerful word. How hard is that? I don't know if this is what it looked like before the world was ever made and the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were conspiring to do this whole thing and figuring out how this relationship between saved and the Trinity was going to work. I'm not sure if it was like, hey, you know what? Uh, we need to keep this as simple as we possibly can because you know they're just going to have a tendency to get really confused. They're going to have a tendency to not understand. They're going to have a tendency to make it into something that we never intended it to be. So let's boil it down for them, make it as simple as we possibly can. How about we give them the picture of a parent's relationship with a child, a loving parent caring for their child, and that child coming in the naivety of faith and total trust, abandoned to the will of their parent and simply asking. And that, that's what prayer is. Prayer is you and me coming to our Heavenly Father like little children, like little children in need. And you know, Jesus gives some framework to understand how it is that we're supposed to ask. He says this to his disciples. He says in verse 23, truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name. Now, I know, I know that sometimes when we think about praying in the name of Jesus, it's like, well, yeah, you know, you just pray whatever you want and, and um, you know, you ask and you ask and you ask and then at the very end, at the very end of your prayer, you like, it's kind of like 10, 4, good buddy, over and out. Like, you know, you just, you put this little magical combination of words at the very end, 
And now because you've said, in Jesus' name, now because you've said in Jesus' name, God is obligated to do everything that you've just asked him to do. But of course, you know, as seasoned Christians, that that's not the way that it works. When we pray in Jesus' name, it means this. First and foremost, it means that we have access to God through faith in the Son. Like the nature of our relationship with God has changed. There was a point in time where we were at war with God. We were against God. We were in enmity with God. There was a battle. There was a wall between us and God. It was our sin. We were in the wrong. God was always in the right. There was no way for us to fix that situation until we believed in Jesus. And then that wall was torn down. The sin was forgiven. We were reconciled to God. And the Bible says we were adopted into the family of God as sons and daughters. Man, that, and the house of God erupted in praise today because that, I'm, I am waiting. I am waiting. Like, wait, wait a minute, Derek. Isn't like all of humanity the children of God? And, and the answer is no, right? I had somebody come up to me after the service and they're like, hey man, that thing that you said, like, can you explain that to me? Like, we're not born naturally as children of God. We may be made in the image of God. We may be able to collectively trace our, all of our lineage back to the person of Noah, but we're born separated from God. It's not until we put our faith in Christ. God did so love the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him should not perish. Why? Because he brings them, he brings the believing person into his family. And so when you and I come to God in prayer, we come accessing his presence, accessing this privilege, taking hold of this promise in Jesus' name. We have access to him because of the son. But in addition to that, we pray like Jesus prayed. To pray in Jesus' name also means to pray the way that he prayed. You say, well, how, how is it that Jesus prayed? Well, in fact, it's really interesting that of all of the things that Jesus did, and there were a lot of things that he did, he worked miracles, he taught messages. Of all of the things that he did, he raised the dead, he cleansed the leper, he healed the blind. Of all of the things that he did, he was compassionate and merciful, he multiplied bread. Of all the things that he did, his disciples were like, hey, man, that prayer thing, that prayer thing, can you show us? Can you show us? Can you teach us how to pray? He's like, all right, I'm going to teach you guys how to pray. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a model. I'm going to give you the framework so that you understand how you ought to pray. I'm not going to give you exact words just for you to repeat to God. I'm not saying that's an altogether bad thing. It's much more than that, though. He's like, I'm going to give you the framework. And what you're going to notice is this. Before he gets to petition, you guys know how this goes, our Father... Yeah, hang on just one second. You guys did the same thing the first service did. It's so fascinating. There's a sociological study to be done here. And like you dropped back into the King James Version. It's fascinating, right? It's like, and I will tell you, it just sounds a little bit better in the King James, doesn't it? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that with you guys, okay? Not ESV, not NKJV, but we'll do KJV right now. Our Father, who art, and, and I know you're like, who the heck is art? And, and what is he doing in heaven, right? <laughs> Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day, right? So I'm just saying to you, the ask peace, the petition peace, the supplication peace, 
is all framed by the beginning part. Our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How do we pray? How do we ask? Well, we frame our ask in that. And I just want you to think about it, right? Our Father who is in heaven, obviously low-hanging fruit, you know what I'm going to say. First and foremost, we come to God, we come to God in relationship. We come to God in relationship. That's what Father means, Father means that there's a relationship. Jesus said, how do you get to a place where God is your father? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the father but by me. But when you come, God is now, God is now your heavenly father. Every time Jesus talks about prayer, he connects prayer to God our father. He says here, ask and the father will give to you. He says, the Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. When he's standing before the tomb of Lazarus, you remember he prayed, and he said this for the benefit of those who were listening. He said, Father, I thank you. Father, I thank you that you've heard me. And then in John chapter 17, he is going to give them an example of what he's talking about, but he begins that prayer, John chapter 17, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son. I want to tell you today, and it's important for you to remember, as a child of God, you're not coming to a vengeful God. You're not coming to a cold, impersonal God. You're not coming to a God that's indifferent about your circumstances. Do you understand that today? Look, when you're in the, when you're in the midst of difficulty and adversity, oftentimes, and I hear this and I've thought this myself, God, where are you? God, don't you care? You know, you, you, you talk about how much you love and you are omnipresent and you are omniscient. You know all things. Nothing has slipped your gaze. But God, this thing I'm dealing with right now, it feels like, God, you're indifferent to my circumstances. And that's when you've got to lean back into the word of God and remember that he is your heavenly father. He is your heavenly father. Jesus talking about this picture of how even earthly parents know how to give good gifts to the, their children who ask. He's like, man, if that's true and you guys are evil, how much more does your father who is in heaven know how to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Framework, right? Number one is this. You come to God based on relationship through faith in Jesus Christ. Number two, he says, holy is your name. Holy is your name, right? When we pray, we're, we're remembering God Thank you that you're my father. Thank you that you're in heaven. And holy, holy is your name. Holiness refers to the perfections of the attributes of God. There's no God like our God. There's no God like our God. I mean, when you think about the attributes of God, the qualities and characteristics of God, that's his holiness. He is a sight to behold. He is the ultimate topic to discuss. And, and all of his Perfections with respect to qualities and characteristics are bound to his name. His name is Yahweh. When we speak the name of Yahweh, all of the qualities and characteristics of God are expressed in his name. Holy is your name. There's no name like the name of our God. Yeah, that's right. And so when we're praying, listen, we're remembering that. We're remembering that. There's no God like our God, and we want the perfections of God to be manifested so the world can see how great our God is. You say, well, what word is that? That's the word glory. 
right? Holy is your name. When we're praying, we're saying this, God, this is the deepest desire of our heart. Before we get the answer from your hand, before we get the provision for our needs, what we care about first and foremost, God, we know the joy will come. God, we know the, re the relief will be there. We know, God, the burden will be lifted when you answer. But first and foremost, our primary concern is that the world sees how great our God is. God, we care about your glory. He goes on to say before he gets to petition, your kingdom come, your will be done. And so listen, we frame our ask in relationship. We frame our ask in desiring first and foremost the glory of God to be on display. And then finally, we remember when we ask that God is on mission. Our God is on mission. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, before we get to the point of our petition, we're reminded that God has a plan. God has a, purp a purpose. There's something that God is after. And as children of God, we have learned to want what God wants. We have learned to love what God loves. We've learned to pursue and to be after what it is that God is pursuing, what God is after. You say, well, what is that? God is after lost souls, brothers and sisters. God is after the lost. God is, God is burdened over the broken. God is concerned about the suffering. God is thinking about those who are still in bondage to their sin, bound by chains and locked behind prison doors. And the mission of God through the people of God is to rescue those people out of that circumstance and situation. And so when we pray, we remember, man, it's not about my will being done. God, it's about your will being done. It's about your purpose. God, I'm going to bring this ask. I'm going to bring this petition. And you know I have a tendency to only be concerned about what I'm concerned about. You know, to be thinking about this in the context of my desires and my purpose and plan. But God, I'm going to step back and just say, however you can use this situation and bring the answer to prayer in a way that might reach a lost person, God, I'm all for that. That's what I want. That's what I want. So, so listen, there is a way for us to ask. We ask in this framework, the framework of relationship, of glory, of mission. And when you and I live in that place, I want to encourage you, church, ask and don't stop asking. Knock and don't stop knocking. Seek and continue to seek. Be like that persistent widow. You know the story. I mean, she was like, hey, this judge, he's a loser. He's, he's unrighteous. But I'll tell you what, I'm going to beat my drum so hard that at the end of the day, he's going to get so annoyed that he has to answer me. And, and, and Jesus is just like, man, if that's true for an unrighteous judge, how much more when you beat the drum, when you bring your intercession, when you don't just quit and give in and throw in the towel because you didn't get it in the first 30 seconds that you prayed. You guys know, man, we're an iPhone microwave culture and we lay that over onto God. Hey, God, what's the problem here? You can do this. How come you're not faster than my iPhone, man? You know, I mean, this is just... This is just the culture that we live in. What problem do you have? What situation needs to be resolved? What trouble are you going through? What need is bearing down upon your heart? Do you need help today? Do you need help today? Anybody in the house of God need a little bit of help? Raise your hand. All right. I'm saying to you, ask. Ask. And don't stop asking. 
And as you ask, remember, the framework of your ask is relationship and glory and mission. And you know what he's good to do. He's good to, to say yes to you. He is good to say yes. And in addition to that, there are times, let me tell you, there are times where God will say no. There are times where God will say not yet, right? There are times where God will hit the pause button. He will call you to wait. What happens to you in those moments? What happens when God says to you, hey, I have, I have a different plan. I've got a different time frame than you have. And this is the thing, brothers and sisters, let me tell you, God never tells us that when it's going down. It's just like silence. It's silence. I mean, I wish God would say, hey, Derek, listen, just to tell you how this is going to roll out in six weeks, you're going to get the first answer. And then you know, a couple days after that, this is, this is what's going to happen. And I wish God would give me the trajectory, but he doesn't give me the trajectory. He doesn't. He leaves me in this place where I don't know what it is that he's doing. And that's a place of faith. That's a place of learning how to trust in God. You know, we live with this uncomfortable reality that oftentimes in the many yeses that God gives, oftentimes there's also a no. The early church dealt with this. Remember, Stephen, think about this. Stephen and Peter were both incarcerated by the Romans. Stephen was, Stephen was murdered. He was murdered by the, by the religious high priests. Peter, on the other hand, was released. Remember Paul ultimately was executed, martyred for his faith, whereas John, on the other hand, died of old age. Think about Paul's life, a, a man who planted churches, who was used by God to raise the dead, a man who penned two-thirds of the Bible. He was able to, to raise Eutychus by the power of the Holy Spirit from the dead. You're like, man, who the heck was Eutychus? Well, Eutychus, Paul was having a Bible study, and Paul did what most pastors do. He talked too long. He talked a long time. And Eutychus was on the upper floor, hanging out, sitting in the window. He fell asleep like some of you do when I'm teaching. <laughs> fell, fell out the window, landed on the ground, and died. And Paul went down, and you remember, prayed over him, and he was, he was miraculously raised from the dead. So Paul, Paul, through the power of the Holy Spirit, was able to do that. But there was a circumstance in Paul's life where he had a thorn in the flesh. And he, he came to God. He came to God, and you know how it, how it probably rolled out. God, you know I've been your servant, and God, I've sacrificed my life, and God, I've given you everything, and Father, thank you that you've done so many amazing works. God, I've seen you raise the dead. I've seen you heal the sick. I've seen you save souls. I've seen you sustain me in shipwreck, in times of need. God, you have done so many great things, and, and now, God, I just, I have a request. I have a need. I have this thorn in the flesh. And, and Father, I'm praying I just can't bear it any longer. I can't bear it any longer. I need you to do a work. And so would you relieve me of this thorn in the flesh? He prays the first time. No answer from God. So he comes back to God and he's, he says, God, you know, goes through the whole litany of the prayer again and gets no answer again. Comes a third time to God and prays. And God's answer to him on the third time was this. My grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. I just do want to remind you today that God, because he's God, even as our heavenly father, has the right to overrule our prayers. He has the right to overrule our prayers. You believe for others. You counsel for others. You sacrifice for others. You help others. 
You work to see God move in the lives of others, and there are times where God will give a no to your ask. You say, well, why are you, like, in the, the, the title was The Power of Answered Prayer. Did you miss something from your own title, Pastor? Like, why are you talking about God not answering prayer? I'm going to tell you why. First of all, because no one likes to talk about this. No one likes to talk about it. I mean, I could sit here and say, I, I got a list, y'all. I got a list of answered prayer. I mean, we could have a moment here where it's like, man, you're all fired up because God answers prayer. But, but the truth is, you know, a lot of us, we're struggling with an, an unanswered prayer. We're struggling and we've been bearing something on our hearts. And, and you know what? That unanswered prayer or the no that we've gotten from God has actually become an impediment to us to continue to ask. We don't ask like we used to. We don't believe like we used to. Because there was that moment. There was that circumstance. There was that situation. And because it's gone unreconciled in our hearts, it in fact is holding us back. And, and I just have to say to you today... That if the guy who wrote two-thirds of the Bible got a no, then the guy who reads the Bible is probably going to get a no as well. I have to remind you today that even the master in the garden, when he prayed three times, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me. Even if the master heard silence from heaven, there's going to be times in your life and in my life where we hear nothing from heaven. But I got to tell you, in those moments, because God never leaves his kids empty-handed, God never leaves his kids empty-handed, right? This is, this is what God says to Paul. Hey, you get a no on that, but you get a yes to my grace. You get, you get a no to that, but Paul, I'm not leaving you empty-handed. The fact is, I, I, this prayer is not going to go unanswered. I'm going to give you something better. I'm going to give you something better. I'm going to give you my grace. Allow my grace to fill that space. When God says no to your prayer... He wants you to say yes to his grace. And I would say as we look at the whole picture, that's how answered prayer means the fullness of joy. Like you and I can rejoice when we get the car. We can rejoice when God closes the deal. We can rejoice when he brings the baby. We can rejoice when we get the boyfriend. Because you know... Because you know, you know how you prayed, God, God, <laughs> you who, clock is ticking, baby, <laughs> like, like, come on, come on, and then you know what happens, uh, as God is gracious, he, he brings, he brings into, into your life the one that you've been waiting for, man, there's, there's joy, but prayer's more than that. Prayer is an experience. Prayer is dynamic. It's multifaceted. It's personal. It's rich. It's a relationship. Prayer isn't transactional. It's transformational. No, it's not just about getting the answer. It's about being in his presence. Right? Right? It's not just about, it's not just about, it's not, prayer is not transactional. This is not a business relationship with God. 
This is not, and we have a consumer-oriented culture, you know, we go and shop, we give our money, we get the good, we bring that into the church, into our relationship with God, we check the boxes, we say, in Jesus' name, amen, we do the works that we think we're supposed to do so that God looks at us and says, oh, good boy, good girl, you know, you fulfilled the requirements, and now because of that, I'm going to give you some positive reinforcement. That's not answered prayer. This is a relationship that we have with God. And the, the dynamic of the relationship isn't just about seeking his hand. It's about seeking his face. Do you know what I'm talking about? In those moments where your need is so existential, and I'm saying in those moments where it's like you can't, you feel like you can't go on unless you get an answer from God. In those moments where it's like it has, the need has obsessed you, it has consumed you, you can't see anything else and it's framed your prayer relationship, your time with God is all built around this one single thing that you need from his hand. And I'm saying to you, in those times, oftentimes what God will do is he will lovingly withhold his hand so you seek his face, right? So you stop seeking the answer, obsessing on the answer, thinking that your life can't go on unless you get, because I'll tell you, your life will go on because you have him, because you have him. Because he's promised. He's promised never to leave you or forsake you. And it's in that place where you, where you get your eyes off of the, the primacy of the petition, right? The primacy of the petition and you start seeking the depth of relationship that all of a sudden, all of a sudden God unfolds his grace to you. Psalm 1611 says it like this, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I want to say to you, I want to say to you when God says no, let grace fill the space so that you in turn can thank God for the no that he gave to you, right? Because, because it goes like this. You can say this as a testimony. You know what? I got a no from God, but he gave me something else. He gave me something else. And you know what? When God chooses to give you something other than what you're asking for, you learn that Father always knows best. Right? Father knows best. There are things that our children ask for, and it's like, I mean, we love to say yes to our kids. Right? I, someone said when we were just beginning to raise kids, say yes as much as you possibly can. <laughs> it was good counsel. It was good counsel, you know, and it, it, shaped, it shaped the way that we raised our kids. It helped us to see, like, I do want to say yes as much as possible, but as a good father, as a good father, there are things where it's like, you know what, that's not, that's not in your best interest. Like, that, not only is that not good for you, I'm not enabling that in your life. I'm not going to be a part of you pursuing something that at the end of the day isn't healthy for you. And that's what the Father oftentimes will do in our lives. Paul, he went through that situation. God gave him his grace. And this is what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. He says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me for the sake of Christ. Then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. Yeah, no one said amen to that. For when I am weak... For when I am weak, right? Paul's like, hey, listen, I'm glad he didn't bring the thing that, that I wanted because this is what he gave me instead. He, he gave me his power that was present in the midst of my weakness. 
You know, I think that answered prayer, answered prayer in our life should remind us of how deeply the Father loves us. How deeply the Father loves us. And let me personalize this as I close today. How deeply the Father loves you. You don't need a patron saint. You don't need Mary, the mother of Jesus. No disrespect, all right? You don't need a pastor or a spiritual giant. We don't ask for other people to intercede because they're better or closer to God. People intercede because their hearts are moved with compassion and mercy. God answers you. This is what Jesus said. If you don't believe me, read it yourself. The Father himself loves you. He answers prayer because he loves you. Now, let me ask you a question. Why does he love you? Uh, that's right, right here. All those things are true, but this is it right here. Check out verse 27. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. So this is what Jesus says. And let me just say, okay, he's like, you don't need me to ask for you because you're going to ask of the Father and the Father is going to give to you because he loves you and he loves you not because you've been good enough or moral enough or religious enough, but because you've loved me. I think, I think there are many things that we could point to and say, well, hey, this is the reason that I know that my relationship with God is strong. You know, we might say, well, I come to church consistently on, a, on, on Sunday morning. I help in the children's ministry. You know, I give financially. I try to serve. All those are demonstrations of the depth of my love for God. And I'm not saying that they're not indicators today. But the real, the real indicator of your love relationship with God is your prayer life. It's your prayer life. Let me ask you something. How is your prayer life? One pastor some time ago uh, you know, he was raising uh, his kids, and his daughter was really beautiful, and the thing that happened, the thing happened to him that all dads don't want to have happen. This little punk high schooler came and was like, hey, I'd like to, I'd like to date your daughter. And, um, and, you know, when that happens, normally what you do is say, okay, here, come over here into, into my room and, um, you know, and show the collection of guns and grenades, and it's like, <laughs> yeah, you can, you can date her. You can date her, but you step out of line, man. Your mama brought you into this world. I'm going to take you out, okay? I'm going to take you out. But this guy was more spiritual than I am. And so, you know, what he did is he sat down with this guy, and he wanted to get, get a read on his spirituality. And so he asked him, he said, okay, listen, I know you want to date my daughter, but I want you to answer this question. What is the last prayer that God has answered in your life? What is the last prayer that God answered in your life? And I think that he identified, right? This identifies really the core of our relationship with God. What is happening in our prayer life? My prayer, and I know it's the prayer of the leadership of this church, is that we would have a season, like we're leaning hard into prayer, church, and may God grant us a season where we experience a depth of prayer like we have never experienced before. Not just in the volume of answered prayer, not just in the fulfillment of the mission that God has given to us, but in the closeness of our relationship with him, that it would be more dynamic and real than anything that we've ever experienced. And so with that in mind, we're gonna end a little differently today. Today, we're gonna have a time of communion, and there is a cup holder in your seat, 
you'll notice that the communion elements are there. Um, they are the rip and sip communion elements, all right? And so the bread, I think, is on the bottom. And then, of course, you can peel the plastic layers away. And before you take communion, listen, we're, you, you're going to take it on your own today. But I just want to remind you, and this is a great way for us to prepare for the Passion Week of Christ. Communion is a, a moment that we have. It's a sacrament that's given to us to remember the work that Jesus did for us, how his body was broken for us, and how his blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. And it's, it's a reminder. It's a physical, tangible reminder that Jesus gave to his church to, to ensure that their attention was always centered around him and his gospel, right? The gospel never gets old. It's never old news, it's, it's good news. And there's always a freshness to it. When we take communion, we're acknowledging that it's through the sacrifice of Christ that we have communion or union with God. We're connected to the Father through the Son. And we also have union and communion with one another. We're the children of God. By the way, communion is for those and only for those who put their trust and faith in Jesus Christ. There is a, a barrier, there's a wall. If you've never put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ, I would encourage you to just confess your sin and to believe in Jesus Christ now and then the, the pathway for communion is open to you. And there is joy in communion, of course. We know that, we rejoice that not only was he crucified but that he rose again from the dead. But there's also a, a sobriety, there's a soberness when we take communion. There's a, by that I, I just mean there's a searching of our hearts, right? It's an opportunity for us to remember, God, you're not only my heavenly father, but you're holy. Your name is to be hallowed. Does my life hallow? Does it honor? Does it glorify your name? And it's in this moment that we have an opportunity to just confess before God, to deal with any heart issue that we might have. Jesus said it like this. He said, therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it'll be yours. But then he goes on to say, and when you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your father also, who is in heaven, will forgive you your trespasses. So we're going to have a time of communion. The team is going to be playing some music. I want to encourage you to be reflective. I want to encourage all of us to just bear the burden to unload the compromise, to unload the sin and repentance, to identify maybe the issue of bitterness and unforgiveness, if there is any, to identify any conflict that we've had within the body of Christ that's interrupted our communion with our brothers and sisters. And then after that, I wanna encourage you, unload your ask, unload your prayer to God. Bring your petition and beat that drum knowing that your Father who is in heaven, who loves you, is going to answer you.